Thanks, music team. Good to see you guys again. We'll get to that. It's going to be forgiveness from Mother's Day to Father's Day. That's what we'll go through for about four weeks. We're in the middle. Uh, It's good. It might become a tradition because it's probably good to at least dwell on the notion of forgiveness at least once a year, right? We could probably preach it every Sunday. Some might get bored. Then we would say, why don't you forgive? Just kidding. Start with a joke, right? A couple of housekeeping announcements, and then I'll uh, pray, and we'll get into this world that we live in the last week especially. First housekeeping announcement, we are going to baptize next week. Today's the cutoff. If you want to get baptized or talk about it, come see me after service. IB, the church that we rent to, is also baptizing um, next Sunday, so we're going to make the most of our large baptismal. It's awesome. And dunk some folks. Um, It's going to be great. Uh, June 4th, we'll have a little bit of celebration too, and uh, it should be an awesome time to celebrate the gospel and realize what God's done for people and forgiving. And then last but certainly not least, Edith is on a jet plane. Where'd she go? Friday, right? Friday. So she shared last week. She's headed to Tanzania for most of the summer, which is awesome. Thank you for giving. Those of you who've given, if you'd like to continue to give, we'll take the, take the gifts and get them to Edith soon. And as a church, we'll give to her as well. But uh, as I pray, I'm going to pray for her. Actually, we'll pray for you at the end one last time because Tanzania is 9,800 miles away. I looked. Right? So, so very good. We're excited to see what God does, and we'll be praying for you. But let me pray and get into this sermon. Father, help me and help us. Give us the grace to see this very weighty and um, oftentimes unsafe reality of forgiveness. Unsafe emotionally, Lord. Unsafe in our psyche sometimes. We get scared. And help us to see... This planet and this world and our faith and um, our church and our country and our globe through the lens of radical forgiveness. Help me uh, explore that today. The things that I say that are true, Lord, cement in our minds, and I do not wish to deceive a soul, but if something happens and there's not clarity or Words come out differently. Remove that from all of our memories. Jesus, speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. What a week. We say it about every six months. We could say it every day if we were tuned into the globe. Um, I'm often asked as a pastor, how do we deal with all this hate and violence? And maybe as a Christian, Especially if you have non-Christians in your family or non-Christians at work, it's a, it's a baited question, right? Because they just want to figure out what the Christian will say so they can prove us as hypocrites and then go on Facebook or post an article. But as a pastor, oftentimes, a few times, maybe a week, what's going on and how do we fix it? Uh, I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> I'm just a pastor. But when those questions come up, and if you're not familiar why... Forgiveness and why I'm going to slant a little bit. Last Monday early, there was a bomb that went off at a teeny bopper concert. And it's senseless. It's crazy. My poppy fell. And then 28 Coptic Christians were massacred because of their faith. And then two men lost their lives defending a Muslim woman on a bus, I believe, or a train near Portland because some people are insane. So the whole gamut is what I'm trying to say. 
And I could go to alertnet.com. Don't go there unless you want to be really informed. But all these things happen globally all the time. And we get bombarded because of what most of you have in your pocket or purse, right? It's just alerts. Boom, boom, boom. And so as we as Christians walk through this life and go to work and have coffee and read the newspaper... And when someone comes up, I'll speak for me, when someone comes up to me and says, what's going on? How do we respond? The first thing, because I didn't used to do this and I got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Those of you who know me when I was real young, she knows. I want to qualify, who's we? Like, who am I speaking for? <laughs> am I speaking for America? Because I'm not the best person to speak for America. And the church says what? Amen. I'm not the best this country has to offer. No way. I don't have the knowledge or the expertise. None of my opinions or thoughts are valid enough to speak on global political affairs. That's the first thing I've learned, and I'm 42. It took me a long time to get there, right? Because in my 20s, I, I knew everything. And I would put my foot in my mouth repeatedly, ask Kim Grover. She's been, she's known me for a while. And Laura chuckles and the whole, something. But the point is, that's what we want to do. We want to qualify what's the question. Who's we? I don't speak for the American government. I don't speak for the Pentagon. I don't speak for the military. Nor should I. So then we go to, okay, as a Christian, maybe as a leader of a church, as a pastor, what are we going to do about this? And that's a little easier for me because I have a little levity or I have a little, I have a little skin in the game there. What do we do? Has, has anybody thought that question with all that's going on? What do Christians do? How do we, as the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, respond to all types of hatred, terrorism, all types, and violence? Ever thought about that? Because if you don't think about it, that's what all the non-believing people are thinking about when it pertains to us. So we should have an answer, and I'm going to try and help us have an answer. You heard the scripture. Some of you already don't like it. Neither do I. But that's why I'm at church. Amen? Because I want to be challenged. I want to see the words of Jesus, and I want my heart to be laid bare and go, oh, man, he was really like in nobody else, right? <laughs> he is the pardon and grace of God walking the earth in sandals, per se. What do we do as Christians? The scriptures tell us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. I heard a faint amen, thank you church, because I get it. Because that sounds like a Disney movie, right? Let's be, can we be honest in church? That sounds like Aladdin. In the face of all that goes on in our world, and we are very blessed to live in this country and be safe, so to speak, that sounds like Fantasy Island. What are, what are we to do, I'm not even going to get American on us, what are we to do with the people who hate our faith? That's the question. And I'm not simply speaking about Muslims or Hindus or agnostics. There's lots of opposition, but how are we to respond? Because I keep harping on the way I grew up. Culturally, in the church was, 
we'll send a couple F-16s and so be it. And I get that response. Because if someone walked in this church right now and did anything to any one of you, I promise you I would be the first in the way to be next. I get that response. And at the same time, we honor those who have given all so we could what? Enjoy this country, which has flaws, but freedom and safety. But as the Christian, there should be a tension in our minds and in our hearts to say, how do we deal with this? Because in some ways, it's uncharted territory. It's uncharted territory, one, because the world is getting what? Much smaller. We're going to say peace out to Edith, and in like 26 hours, she's going to be halfway around the world. That didn't happen 150 years ago. It was a six-month voyage, and half of them didn't survive. Lord willing, your whole plane survived, right? So the world's getting smaller. The information rages, and we know not everything, a lot of things, and we're bombarded. So the natural reaction is to puff our chest up and go, come on, bring it. And so what does Jesus, or does he have anything to say about this? I hope so, or I wasted the first eight minutes, right? My advice to you, Christian, one who is trying to follow Jesus, one who has faith that God has sent him to forgive us and restore us and commission us, my first advice is hopefully you heard that and understand that we're not qualified to speak on some levels. But as people of faith, we are qualified and the biblical answer, which I'll show you, is love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Us, like I'm persecuted. My persecution is like decaf or caffeine at this point, right? But when we think of other people who are going through it around the world, obviously, what should our reactions be when these events unfold? The scriptures are clear that we mourn with those who mourn. We pray. It's hard to think that prayers affect things going on 5,000 or 10,000 miles around the earth or world. We come alongside, we do due diligence, we research with organizations if we want to get involved, and we get involved by all means. But most of us are already involved. How many of you have Facebook? You're involved, because I've seen you involved. How many of you have an email? How many of you have a telephone? So most of us are involved. Okay, we're involved. And the point is, we as Christians have to have a Jesus-centered response when the, Caleb, close your ears, when all hell breaks loose. She's my daughter. She's like, I've heard that at school. I know. Some of us, even my own heart at times, Say, Pastor, that's incredibly naive. That's incredibly dopey, or that is too old-fashioned. The problems are too big, the violence is too real, and the anger is seething like never before. Like I said, yes and no. If you just want to see my point, you can Google Wikipedia, the history of humanity. 
Again, our responses are pray that this evil would cease, real prayers. Pray for those who have become, become victims and their loved ones. Pray that Jesus would shine in calamity. And then our second option is forgive our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. I didn't used to believe that. I hated it. I would used to watch CNN during the Gulf War and they would have a certain pastor on and said, there is a just war, we should go get them all. I'm like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. That's why his church is so big. And then they would get a liberal pastor or someone on and he would simply say, as Christians, as people of the way, we're called to forgive and pray for those who oppose us. And I would be like, what a wimp. No wonder why his church has 12 people in it. And I'm not saying which one's right, but what I am gonna say is right politically is Jesus was always counterintuitive, counternatural, that's a weird saying, but I'll say it that way, and walked down the middle because on many issues he was on this side, and then on other issues he'd be like, Jesus, why are you over here? You should be over here, because he's God. So we read a passage of scripture. Just to give you a little context, Matthew 18, it's just after when her brother sins. Luke's account, Peter, you can go there, I think it's Matthew, did I have it for you guys? Matthew 18, 21. Just so you know, Jesus has just taught about a brother sinning and church discipline and how you're supposed to go one-on-one and try and resolve the issue, but if the, if the brother or sister is still like, no, here it is, uh, then you're supposed to bring two, and if he or she's like, no, 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 I'm going to do it my way, and it's harm being done, Jesus says at that point you can say, cheerio, you can be removed and do some things. And then this is the next passage. And if it doesn't sound like it, Luke actually tells us, Peter says this thing, but in one day. Peter's being, being very righteous here. Courtney, you're sitting there, so you're there. If I sin against you in one day, and I say, Courtney, will you forgive me? You'll say, yeah. If I do it five times, by the fifth time, you're kind of like, bro, get your stuff together. So there's some debate whether this is ongoing one day. What's Peter doing? Peter's trying to be a good leader. And even in the scriptures, once or twice is accepted, the Old Testament scriptures. But Peter went an extra mile and goes, should I forgive seven times? Peter is thinking, I've followed you, Jesus. I've seen your, heard your teachings. I've seen some of the things you do. How many times should I forgive? Next verse. And then Jesus does what Jesus does. He takes everything that we think is right and good and pious and holy even, and he flips it on its head. There's a lot of debate in, in scholarhood. Is this an infinite time? Because seven times 70 has some significance. 490 times a day. I'll go literal on this one. I'm trying to prove a point. If one person, not 499 times forgiveness, if one person sins against you 491 times in one day, pastor says, we'll have a meeting with that person. I'm going to go literal, just because we can get out of it, right? And if it's your spouse, we'll really have a meeting soon. That's what I'm trying to say. You know what I mean? But the point of what Jesus is getting is wipe all of even your Old Testament understanding off the slate 
and hear about the words of the kingdom. And the words of the kingdom says, if someone comes to you and asks for forgiveness, yes, I forgive you. That sounds like the same Aladdin story that I referred to 10 minutes ago, right? That sounds pithy and unrealistic. Last week I tried to explain you granting forgiveness, pursuing Jesus, trying to serve your Lord is one step. The party who was offended receiving the forgiveness then embracing reconciliation, repenting from what they did, and moving forward is the second piece. This comes face-to-face. I've only had to do with it a couple times when we have a marriage with abuse involved, right? Face-to-face. Because sometimes, usually the man side will quote this scripture and say, you have to forgive me. Even though I just put you in the ER again. No, that's what happens. That's what happens. And in the one case, the authorities got involved and we support it as much as we can because that is the right way to do things. This is radical, by the way. This is heavenly or foolish. We as people who are trying to walk with Jesus must decide. Is this divine or is this insane? That's where the rubber meets the road. This is radical. What did Moses have to do in the Old Testament because people wanted vengeance so bad? He had to put in a law, was given from God, that if Deb knocks out my tooth, I can only knock out her tooth. I can't take her neck with it. That's what an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth came from. It was civil order. <laughs> it was, Pam, you broke my wrist. I can't destroy your knee. Because vengeance, even way back when in God's people, was at the forefront. And Jesus says, vengeance ends with me opening my arms on the cross and bearing the sin of my people and being put to death and raised again. And then he comes back and says, peace be with you. And his teaching is fulfilled and his radical forgiveness is put forth not only in word, but as James would say, we'll get there again one day, in deed. That is radical forgiveness. The cross of Christ is radical. That God would come as a man, would bear the sins of his people, would say with his, one of his last breath, Father, forgive, then be raised again, and not seek vengeance like any This is the funny part. Any Greek mythology or pagan gods would do, they come back and say, it's it's mine now. Now I'm going to take it all. I gave you a chance. But Jesus said, peace be with you. And we saw three weeks ago in John, now you go in my name and forgive as I have forgiven you. And the Lord's Prayer last week, how do we wrap up that prayer? Father, forgive us our sin or trespass as we forgive those who sin or trespass against us. Then Jesus His only comment on the Lord's Prayer, if you forgive church, you're forgiven. That's Matthew 6, 13, 12, 13, 14, 15. I'm not going to go there, but check it out later. So is this pithy? Is this Aladdin? Is this Little Mermaid? I'll get hip. Is this Moana? I'll get more hip. Is this Hamilton of the day? She loves it when I say that. 
Is it modern or is this divine, this radical forgiveness? That's where I'm trying to get us to go and see because my heart needs to go there because I have a cell phone and I live in this time and I would long to see a different place. I mean world, you know, and that's pithy too, but I'm a pastor now so I can be a little pithy. And then he tells this parable, radical. Next verse, 23. Therefore, we just, we went through this with our junior high group three weeks ago, so they're getting the same dose. It's awesome. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. I did a little contextualization. More money than we have combined in this church. That's how much is owed. Like all of us. That's a big debt, right? <laughs> that's, that's a big debt. Okay, next verse. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and the payment to be made. So his debt was worth them and everything. Verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. You ever been there with God? Get me out of this one jam, and I will never not study for this test again. Famous Ronald Reagan quote, remember Ronald Reagan? Whether he's good or bad, but as long as there's final exams in school, there'll always be prayer in school. Ha, 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 very funny, right? That's what he said. But that's what's happening. I will pay you everything. Get me out. I've been there. I'm there less and less because I hopefully I'm maturing. Next verse. And out of what? Pity. Charity. Empathy. Grace. Out of thinking outside himself, the king, thinking others first, what happens? The master, that servant, I'm sorry, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now here's the interesting point about the gospel. The forensic evidence of the gospel is real and it's important. It is not the whole gospel. My sins were paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. The scriptures told me that my sin was imputed to him and he took on and my punishment he received and then I was given freedom. That is 100% true. But if we only stay there and if that's our whole gospel, we miss the heart of our king. It's a both. In this parable, the debt was just forgiven. If someone owes you something and you truly forgive them, forgive them. Usually, because you're nice people, interesting people, funny people sometimes, laugh once in a while, you don't require anything else to be done. So there's this both. My sin required a payment, but God's nature and demeanor toward me wasn't that he fully required a payment per se. It was love that implored him to receive the payment. So God's bigger than any transaction per se. He's bigger than that. See that. See the heart of a good God. Forgiven. Debt's gone. So what does Mr. Snarky do? I gave it away. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. 
He owed him a Starbucks and a matinee. I mean, Starbucks is good, but let's be honest, you know what I mean? Depends what movie, right? What's, what's out now? Gardens of the Galaxy? Worth it? Eh, we, got a, we got some mix. Okay, very good. I, I digress. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. Oh, this isn't going to be good. Next verse. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. What did he plead? The exact same thing the man who seized him pleaded before the great king. And I will pay you, verse 30. He said, no way, bro. And we could psychoanalyze why. We could talk about the insecurities. We could talk about his child upbringing. We could talk about everything. But he did not forgive. Why would Jesus teach this? It's not so much about the debts that were owed. There's a juxtaposition there. It's not so much about the king forgiving some and not forgiving others. It's precisely what we've been talking about for three and a half weeks now, the radical nature of the kingdom. Radical. So what happens to this guy? You can finish your story. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, I always glossed over that. I always glossed over that. Why did this guy get busted? Because his peers knew the grace of the king, knew about the good news, and then one of the followers of the kingdom acted like an antichrist opposite, and they said, "Uh uh-oh, something right here. They were greatly distressed. Yes, they were. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Go ahead. Then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Go ahead. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his what? Debt. Now, I'll go with, uh, oh, there's one more verse. Go ahead. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Quickly, I already know what your head's doing, some of you. Who's my brother? Jesus answered that in the Sermon on the Mount. You're all my brothers and sisters, not because we're in a church. If I walked out of that flea market, we'd probably have 50 faiths walking on the street. They're all my brothers and sisters, according to Jesus. If that is a heart issue, go take it up with him. And my office is open when he's done dealing with you, right? We'll talk about it. That's the best dealings. Hearing this parable in the year 28 to 35, whenever it was told, the radicalness wouldn't have been in being jailed, owing, the radical nature of this parable was this wicked servant, whom the king knew was wicked, forgave him in the first place. That's the radical nature. Because in the Near East back then, forgiveness, that's why Jesus ushered in the kingdom there probably, is kind of like it is now in our culture. It's, what is forgiveness looked as? Weak? <laughs> you fool, you got taken advantage of again. Paul writes to that in Romans 12. Do not repay evil with evil. 
Overcome evil with good. Vengeance is mine, says what? The Lord. Live peaceably as far as you can. And I had another tangent. Maybe I'll just give it to you the last few minutes. We, 96.8, scientifically proven, in America, 96.8% of the time, we can always live peaceably. Probably more. Because most of the time, what does it involve Dave doing? Bless you and walking what? Away. Most of the time. But this notion of radical forgiveness. Let me finish with a story. It's a well-documented story. You guys probably have heard it. 1915 to 1917, scholars and genocide folks actually say it's the first great genocide. We can debate that, but that's, that's what they say. It's the Armenian genocide. It was horrible. Over 1.5 million mostly Christian, Armenian Christians were killed. This account is documented all over the place. It's fabled in different parts of the world, and in some, it might be fabled too much. But a Turkish soldier came into a small town and went into a house with a mother and father and two children. This Turkish soldier did what Turkish soldiers do in a genocide. They got rid of the parents, and then they abused the children, and then the oldest daughter was taken by the soldier for his own, his own. Over the next couple years, genocide continued, and a couple years later, this young woman escaped. And to only imagine the grief and the trauma that she was trying to process is unbearable. The story says that she put her life back together. She went to school and became a nurse. Nurses are awesome, by the way. Some of the strongest people we know, right? We love them. And she started working in a military hospital about five years later. Lo and behold, bandaged up, who walks in or who is carted in to the hospital? The same soldier that killed her parents and was evil, vile to her. And she knew right away from her training, because she was a very good nurse per se, as the story goes, that she was like, this guy's going to die unless we are 10 out of 10. There's the gospel if you're a believer. I know what my black heart would have done. Turned the auction down and got a pillow. Who's going to know? So she takes the lead on caring for this gentleman. About two weeks later, the gentleman is on the mend. The bandages and different things are taken off. And he asked the doctor, what happened? And the doctor said, X, Y, and Z. And from afar, maybe the back of the room, the doctor points out this nurse and says, I want you to know, knowing nothing of the situation, if it wasn't for that young lady, you would be dead. And so sometime later, she comes close, and they meet face to face. And there's a long pause as the story goes, about two minutes. And she doesn't say a word. And he says, you look very familiar. Do I know you? And she doesn't say a word. I don't know how much courage that mustered, but she was off the charts. And then a minute later, he says, why didn't you kill me? And as the story says, 
sir, I didn't kill you because I follow the one who says, love their enemies, and walked out of the room. And that is the message of Jesus. When I was far off, God loved me in his son. In his grace and love and offer of forgiveness, he wooed my heart to produce faith. And in that goodness, then I started to follow him. And for 20 plus years now, he woos my heart every day with the notion of grace and forgiveness. As your pastor said, I don't have any answers to geopolitical questions. And you should say amen. I don't know. I hope I've scratched the surface a little bit of how we as people of faith who are trying to walk with Jesus, trying to follow him on how do we deal with personal tragedy, that was mostly last week, global calamity, people who are opposed to us. Two prayers. Remember the end of the Lord's Prayer? Father, forgive us. I'm going to call it a prayer from Calvary. Father, forgive who? Them. We can debate till eternity who them is. But I'm calling it two prayers. Lord's Prayer, say it with me. Father, forgive us. On the cross, the Lord said, Father, forgive them. If we pray that and if we walk that and if we walk in this kingdom way, this Jesus way, long enough, the two prayers dissipate and it's one prayer of the forgiven, all of us. It's not us and who? It's we're all forgiven. Church, if you can stand, we're gonna close. I will pray boldly that we could walk, hopefully, in the notion of forgiveness, maybe in our own hearts. We'll hang out here another week or two. Father's Day's coming up. We gotta say on forgiveness on Father's Day, right, fathers? They're like, I don't know about that. I think we could jump to something else. <laughs> gentlemen, all the gentlemen on June, is it 17th or 18th, Father's Day? I think we're doing bacon, sausage in the courtyard at 9.30, and juice and coffee. Because all the fathers like bacon, right? All the men like bacon, right? Can I get a hearty? Huh? One, two, three. It wasn't very hearty. Maybe it'll be a Canadian bacon. All right. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of the cross. Thank you for this man who came Thank you for the almost whimsical saying, forgiveness and love and prayer. That's massive, Lord. I don't have the pay grade or the knowledge to fully understand all of that, but walk us through that. Father, those of us who are dealing with personal anger and personal bitterness and personal forgiveness issues, give us grace. And as a church, Lord, as a people of faith here on the west coast of California in 2017, give us a heart to see forgiveness and restoration happen, not only here, but to the ends of the earth. Father, bless us and keep us. May your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us all of our days. In Jesus' name, amen.